The material discussed and presented in this podcast is for general information only and any reliance on such material is done at your own risk. This podcast should not be considered professional advice. Reference to any information, product, process, service, or organization does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by pros. Views expressed by guests are their own and their appearance on the podcast does not imply an endorsement by pros of them or any entity they represent. Views expressed by pros employees are their own and do not necessarily reflect the views, standards, or policies of pros or any of its directors, officers, employees, or shareholders. Hey there, listener. Welcome back to the Interface Podcast. Thanks for joining us for part two of our conversation with Kelsey Hightower. In this episode, we'll talk about the origins of Kubernetes and the power of communities. Happy listening, and as always, thank you for being here. So I wanted to ask um, about some more specifics about, you know, your, your, like you said, you don't have a, you don't have a LinkedIn or you may not have to give a resume, but people know who you are and some of the things that you've done to get there. So I know, I know you're an author and you have a conference. So let, let's, let's talk about Kubernetes a little bit and explain what that is as well. I mean, look, Kubernetes, like a lot of technologies that came before it, when you think about what technology is in general, it's typically a tool that embodies something people learned a while ago and we we put it into either a physical form if you want to consider software physical in a way that other people can do it too like you know you see someone banging a rock against something else it's like what's that i think i shall call it the hammer okay (laughs) so now we got hammers right and so now there's a whole thing where people are trying to refine the hammer to make it what we see today it's a tool And so Kubernetes is a tool, but to understand the tool, you got to know what it's used for. And this is where I think a lot of us fall into traps in tech, especially in tech. Mm -hmm. This stuff is very complicated. And it's complicated for a reason. Typically, the more complicated the tool is, it's probably trying to solve a very complicated problem. The other part of that equation is you may not have that complicated problem. Right. Yeah. That's another trap we fall in. Just because some technology is hot, and it's in demand, doesn't mean you immediately have that problem too, or you may not even want to have that problem, mm-hmm. right? It's like medication. Some medication is complex for complex diseases. You ain't lining up to get the medication you don't need. <laughs> yeah. That's fine. Like, hey, that's great for the people who have that problem. You don't. So don't volunteer for a problem you don't have. Right. That's, that's the way I want to frame it. Mm-hmm. So when I think about Kubernetes, Remember my career, and there's a long road in my career, but a lot of it was around managing systems. Mm-hmm. And the tools we used to build around server administration, these are the shell scripts that people write. Mm-hmm. You know, I got five servers and they all need to look the same. So back then, before we had more advanced tools, a lot of people would just write shell scripts and run them from your laptop. And you would say, 4x in list of machines do these commands and you would just run the script and you would mm-hmm. write the script but then we go from just a handful of machines to thousands of machines when you start to get thousands of machines and there's a reason for this transition you know 
early days, you got big mainframes. You know, these things look like refrigerators. Mm -hmm. You only need one of them. The whole company shares it. And then the internet happens. And so we can't have all of these machines in just one building. They need to spread out. Mm -hmm. And so when they spread out, that means you're going to have more of them, but not thousands, right? Maybe one company has five and another has five and you come in and you manage those systems so you can get away with brute force. Mm -hmm. But then we get virtualization. So we turn those five machines into a hundred machines because we move to a pattern where we say there should be one app per machine, right? Mm -hmm. We're making that appliance. Mm -hmm. And so then we get a new industry configuration management. This history is so important because to understand Kubernetes, you gotta understand the problem it tries to solve. And so config management shows up and says, we gotta abstract away this. We can't just be logging into these servers, even through automated processes, like for loops and shell scripts. We gotta start treating these things as um, one big server farm. Some people had this saying, the data center is the computer. Think about that abstraction for a moment. Mm -hmm. It's not to say that you have a thousand machines, it's that you have one machine that lives in this data center. Mm -hmm. So then the tools start to treat a lot of machines like one machine. And that's the fundamentals of distributed systems. And so we get these configuration management tools that go from just writing shell scripts to the point where we're describing our roles. This is a web server. This is a database. It has this role. Mm -hmm. And once we describe the role, we will let the tool figure out how to get the machines to play that role. That's that new abstraction. So config management, right around the time DevOps comes out as a phrase, this mm -hmm. idea that if you're just doing ops, you probably should learn some development skills, number one, better abstractions, better tools. And if you're a developer, you need to learn a little bit more about the infrastructure so you can collaborate a lot better together. And mm -hmm. config management is born out of that world. Yeah. So. What's the problem? We got config management, life should be solved. But the truth is config management is really a better way to write scripts. So we get containers. So we're 80% to Kubernetes now. Mm -hmm. Instead of writing apps that need to be packaged and copied to a server, even through automation, we should probably abstract that away too. And so what does that abstraction look like? It looks like what the blu-ray disc is to the blu-ray player doesn't mm -hmm. matter the movie doesn't matter the genre of the movie it's all going to be on that blu-ray disc mm -hmm. and you can put it in any other blu-ray player because you have a really clean abstraction you have a disc and a player and mm -hmm. they play movies mm -hmm. and so containers become the blu-ray of software right it gives us a way to package up our software in a consistent way and not have to go and try to invent our own blu-ray player so everything I described before was basically every company, every system administrator trying to build their own Blu-ray player and creating their own standards versus us unifying the world. Mm -hmm. And then we have one last problem. How do we get to a point where it's not just about putting software on servers? You got load balancers and just in case one of the machines were to die. Mm -hmm. You have a situation where there's too many apps on one server causing it to fall over and downtime. Mm -hmm. There's so many details that go into really building a system, especially when you start to have a company that says, our app needs to go up even if the data center goes down. Okay, we need more advanced tooling. I'm gonna wrap this story up by saying, for the last 10 years prior, from around 2008, maybe a little earlier, 
the cloud is born. Right. And a lot of people found these cloud, what we call cloud native patterns for solving some of these problems. Kubernetes takes those prior decade, like the stone turning into the hammer, mm -hmm. takes all of those, puts it in one package so that then now people have a tool to manage servers with cleaner abstractions than before. That's what Kubernetes is. Mm -hmm. Now, if you want to understand how it works on the inside, it's complex. Mm -hmm. If you look at the surface, it's incomplete. Because just like the hammer is only used to build a house, it isn't the house. Right. And that's the way to think about Kubernetes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's a lot that goes into it. And um, yeah, the, the team I joined maybe two years ago is using Kubernetes. And I, I it's just kind of like you kind of get bits. The part that I loved most of all first is because, right, we had on-prem solutions where you have to detail and describe, you know, we only support you know, this database and this operating system and this version of this database and this operating system. And, um, you know, the conversations we had when we needed to deprecate, you know, older versions and things like that. And just kind of, that kind of just goes away. <laughs> You're doing right. So it was just kind of like, oh, I don't have to worry about any of this anymore. This is great. <laughs> this, this is kind of the biggest win that I, that I, um, that I'm loving at the moment. Yeah. And, and, and for those listening, it's not like it goes away the worry. It's just that when you solve it, mm -hmm. there's a way to repeat it. Yeah. So when you find out the right version of the app that goes to this version of the database, you now finally have a way to actually describe that. It's mm -hmm. not like, oh, you need to go to SharePoint and look at the doc <laughs> and follow every step the right way. But <laughs> well, we've been there. Like you, you, yeah. you on the SharePoint, you like <laughs> copy, paste, copy, paste, and you hit enter uh -huh. and it says error. Yeah. You're like, yo, now what? Don't say nothing about no error. <laughs> uh, I'm, did I break something? Right. And then an alert goes off. You're like, that's me. I know it's me. They're going to come over here and be like, what that was me, doing? guys. That was me. That was me. And then you get in the meeting. It's like, why y'all ain't update the SharePoint? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just, yeah. So, it definitely streamlines those sorts of um, transitions or upgrades and things yeah, like the that. The way I like to think about it is Kubernetes allows you to serialize your engineering decisions. Ah, so, nice. So once you once you get it working once, it, there's a living executable record of it. It's like, in order to deploy this app, here's this YAML manifest. You need mm -hmm. this container with this health check, with this storage, with this database config, mm -hmm. and then you give it to the system and says, I got you from here. I will find the right server that can fulfill this promise. Mm -hmm. That's very different than like, man, I got to pick the right server. Hey, can I get access to the spreadsheet? <laughs> <laughs> we still tracking servers and spreadsheets? Yes. <laughs> so you, you, you've written a book that explains all these complexities. Kubernetes up Kubernetes. and running. I'm looking for it. I have it somewhere. I have it on my O'Reilly so app. There's a third edition now. There's a third edition now and um, it's been updated. I did very little of the writing. Mm -hmm. We have some new authors, some of them from Microsoft. And it's really glad. I'm really glad. I started the book by myself mm -hmm. and two of the founders of Kubernetes helped me finish it when it first started, the very first edition, Brendan Burns and Joe Beta. And the book is so much better, right? Things are just done better. What Rob Bay said, it takes two to make things go right. Mm 
definitely, <laughs> definitely, definitely, they helped. But you know what? I recently, I recently was asked by one of my Google colleagues. Her name is Jennifer Davison. I know people can't see this listening to this, but uh-huh. there's a book from O'Reilly called Modern System Administration. Uh-huh. And down here, you can see the forward is by Kelsey Hightower. Ah. She asked me to write this forward, and she wanted to talk about kind of the evolution from DevOps to SRE, platform engineering, and just embody all of that into modern system administration. And she asked me to write the forward for that book, and I was able to tell this story in the forward about that time and at that financial services company, you know, the place that went from 45000 to 90000 mm-hmm. And I talked about my own career progression there, going from system administrator to moving my desk to the third floor to sit amongst the developers mm-hmm. and slowly evolving to be one myself. And so I think modern system administration really is really about saying the only boundaries you have in your role is the skills that you bring to the table. Mm-hmm. And if you're willing to go get those DBA skills, software development skills, then you get to contribute in more facets than you would if you just stuck to the original HR title you were given. Right. And so I think that is just so important that people really, really think through. So books like Kubernetes, I tend to lace in these stories mm-hmm. about why these technologies exist or what we were doing before so that people have the bookends. Mm-hmm. Right? The context, yeah. How did you, is that a position you apply for? Like, how do you become an author of an O'Reilly book, right? I, I have so many, you can't see my shelf so over there, my O'Reilly is, collections over there. I'll tell you how I did it. When Kubernetes came out, I was working at a startup called CoreOS. And this technology comes from Google, lots of contributors, including companies like Red Hat and many others. And when the day was announced, at least to the public, I wrote this um, blog post at CoreOS about how to actually run Kubernetes. Mm -hmm. So I'm starting to do open source contributions at this time. Nights and weekends, I'm just writing code, contributing to Kubernetes itself. Mm -hmm. But I knew that, look, this doesn't mean anything if no one knows how to use it. So I wrote this blog post about how to run Kubernetes on the CoreOS operating system at the time. CoreOS would later go on to be bought by Red Hat. Okay. But at that time, I was really showing people, like, here's what this thing is. Here's how you do it yourself. Mm Mm-hmm. And at that point, I'm starting to do a lot more public speaking. I started getting into keynotes. There was a, me and two others, there were a competing startup called Kismatic, uh, Patrick Riley and Joseph Jacks. Three of us come together and we start the Kubernetes conference. So before there was CNCF, three people in a room create KubeCon. Uh-huh. And we create this conference for the community. We wanted to show them how the tech works, how it was involved, and also a place for us to gather. And I remember, I told you that A plus book changed my whole career. Mm-hmm. And all of the skills I was learning for decades prior was all about, you know, how we say we're self-taught. I kind of matured enough to learn that you're just taught by authors you've never met, right? You just haven't met the teacher, mm-hmm. but they're still teaching you something. Mm-hmm. And so I just wanted to be one of those people. I'm like you, you got all the animal books. You're like, mm-hmm. man, if I read this book, it feels like you level up. Yeah. So I wanted to figure out like, how could I take all of my knowledge, all of my perspective and do the same for somebody else? And so what I did was, I don't, I didn't know the process. I said, you know what? All the O'Reilly books, they got an animal. Mm-hmm. So I went to Wikipedia and found a dolphin because dolphins travel in pods. Ah. Right? Uh, 
And I didn't know you don't get to pick your animal. O'Reilly already has a collection of hand-drawn animals. And oh. when you do your book, they they tell you this is your animal. You don't you don't uh -huh. be like, I want a spider. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, no, you getting a giraffe. <laughs> and so I picked this whale. I'm like, all right, I got my cover. I'm ready now. Mm-hmm. I got my cover, so now I need a table of content. And I started just basically taking all of my demos that I was doing during keynotes. Mm -hmm. I had so much work that I was doing. I was like, yo, I know this thing inside and out. And so what I was trying to do is create a narrative from starting from explaining basics of system administration to Docker, and just to build up to a full-blown set of applications. I wanted it to be a very hands-on demo heavy book mm -hmm. so that people had real skills. Mm -hmm. And so I put, I put together maybe the first two chapters and I remember, so this is when I'm still by myself and I pitch it to the O'Reilly team. The O'Reilly team was like, Kelsey, you want to write a book deal? <laughs> I was like, that, that's how we doing it. I'm like, yeah, that's how we, are you finna do it? And I was like, yo, that's my, <laughs> that's my O'Reilly family. I'm like, okay. And I did just one or two chapters and I'm thinking, damn, it's going to be forever to finish this thing. Mm-hmm. And they was like, no, we finna sell these two chapters. I'm like, you making money now? It's like, yeah. When we do those previews, we go get sponsors. Ah. And they were getting people like anyone want to sponsor the book and they can have the first rough cut, mm -hmm. two chapters. And they sent me this check. And you know how people say you don't make money off books. Mm -hmm. oh, That's no. not always true. That's <laughs> you can. Uh -huh. I've heard and, different. Yeah, you <laughs> can make money. Book. Is the way to go. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you self-publish, you can probably do a bit better. But I just really wanted that O'Reilly because their editorial process, just the whole thing. But that, I love O'Reilly. They They're my first. If I'm looking for a book, I gotta look at for O'Reilly first. <laughs> and and they do a good job as a team. And yeah. so they 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 sold the sponsorship deal, and uh, I forget what the splits were, but I got this check. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I'm not even finished. This the check? Like, yeah, that's the check. Keep it going. And so I, I kept going. And in order to finish the book, I think maybe I got to 125 pages or so. Mm -hmm. Brendan Burns and Joe Beta. Mm -hmm. Brendan Burns? Mm -hmm. This dude spit pages. <laughs> like, I'm like, I done did something. Brendan Burns is like, no. <laughs> I'm like, man, co-authors are dope. <laughs> Thank y'all. <laughs> and they push it to the finish line. So Joe Beta, and then they came in and filled in my own knowledge gaps about what they were thinking, because they were at Google at the time when they were getting this thing released, right? They fought all the battles that no one saw to get this thing even available to the world. Mm -hmm. And so, and Craig McLucky was the product manager, senior product manager at Google at the time. And he did the forward for the book. So the book was really nice because we had a lot of people who were early involved, that had all the background knowledge, so all the nuance in that first edition. So when the book gets published, that's the only book. There's no other book. Mm -hmm. I want to learn about Kubernetes. That is the book. Yeah. And so people was like, yo, and then I remember the first time someone came up to me to get the book signed. Mm -hmm. I'm like, this for me? You <laughs> yeah. want me to sign? I hold me. <laughs> what hold me? That's awesome. So um maybe can you tell us more about um the conference, like how big was it when you first started that year? I think it's in the tens of thousands now. Um, and how has it kind of evolved? How many years has it been going? Um, you know, tell us about that. I would tell you, 
One of the questions y'all sent over is like, what can we do to yeah. get more black people in technology? Yeah. Well, look, I think as, as much good intentions as organizations have, it's very hard to align interest around what a specific community needs. It's mm -hmm. just hard. Mm -hmm. Look, I mean, it's hard. It's, it's hard as a black person to align my interests with my own household. Mm -hmm. We debate about what to eat. Mm -hmm. And so I don't have a big expectation for one organization to figure out what my community needs. I just, I just don't. And I don't have the perfect answer because the answer is we need to do everything. If mm -hmm. anybody trying to help, help your corner of the world, and ideally it comes together over time. But the thing about community that is dope, there's not a lot of people who are very interested in this stuff. The world is a big place. There's billions of people. Mm -hmm. And early in these communities, sometimes there's only hundreds of people that have a common interest. And these hundreds of people are typically spread out across the world. And whenever they get together, mm -hmm. They go colorblind. I know this sounds weird. Like there's no, it's no, 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 no. A lot yeah. of people put some differences aside mm -hmm. when there's a huge dominating common interest. And when that common interest takes place, that becomes a thing that becomes front and center. I'm not saying in those rooms that no one is racist anymore. I'm not mm -hmm. saying that. I'm saying is people focus on a common interest that distracts Absolutely. them mm -hmm. from the other stuff. Y'all have seen it. Y'all have been mm -hmm. in a room where you've seen it. Mm -hmm. And so before KubeCon, I had the privilege of being involved of a community that understood community. Early in my career, I went to Georgia Tech to my very first tech meetup. It was a Python meetup in Atlanta. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I go to this meetup, I'm just sitting there. They just let you walk in. They don't ask you your title. Mm -hmm. They don't ask you if you qualified to be there. It's like going to the YMCA with free membership. Yeah. And you get to sit and you watch these people present. And again, in most parts of the world or most situations in their life, ain't nobody trying to hear nothing they talking about. <laughs> but in the meetup, mm -hmm. they're front and center and they get to share their knowledge to a people who have a common interest. You go to a meetup on purpose. Mm -hmm. You're not forced to go. This ain't no team offsite. This ain't yeah. all hands meeting. This is an elective thing that you do on your own time. And so I'm sitting in that room and I'm feeling the vibe. I'm like, okay, these people have self-selected to be here. They're preparing these topics. They're sharing this information. I'm like, okay, this, this is, I can get down with this. So I asked, can I give a talk? Mm -hmm. And the guy running his name was Brandon Rhodes. And he was like, yo, you can, you can talk. Let me know when you're ready. And then I'll give you a slot. And I gave this talk about Python versus Haskell. I mean, I'm trying to show my nerd side too. I want to make sure they understood mm -hmm. that I had the skill. So I just picked the most nerdiest thing I could do. <laughs> and just watching people listen intently, taking notes afterwards, just chopping it up. I'm like, I don't even get this at work. Mm -hmm. And they pay me there. Yeah. And so I'm like, okay, this is the community. Then I went to my first tech conference in the Python community. So after doing that, I was like, you know what? I want to really get involved. So I started contributing to um, a Python tool called Virtual Inf and the packaging tool called Disutils. Okay. And so I'm deep in the game. I'm like, man, I'm just contributing, writing code, fixing issues. We're on GitHub, uh, maybe before GitHub. Mm -hmm. And we're just contributing, writing code, contributing, contributing. 
and I'm meeting these people that I've never met and we're solving problems for tools that are used by people all over the world. So I go to the Python conference and people's like, oh, you work on disutils. You work on virtual if we use mm -hmm. that at work. Mm -hmm. And I'm at the conference. I'm watching all the people on the big stage. Now this is, yeah, we, we on the big stage. I'm sitting there like, <laughs> man, look at these people on the stage. I'm just speaking at the meetups. I don't know if y'all remember that scene from juice where Queen Latifah was inter interviewing DJs for the big party or the DJ competition. And one of the DJs walked in, he had this attitude. She said, boy, you local. <laughs> and I felt like I was just a local, you know what I'm saying? Like, you're not really, you're not really all of that. You, you, you local, like, man, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. wow. Okay. And mm -hmm. so I was like, I'm looking at this is the big stage. This is the pinnacle. And I saw Guido Van Rossum on stage being interviewed and he created Python. I was like, yo, this is dope. This is the vibe. Mm -hmm. But then after the conference, over the weekend, all of these people, including Guido Van Rossum and everyone else that's contributing to the core Python and all of those people I've been working with that I had never met, we're in this room hacking on Python, whatever you want to learn. Mm -hmm. Someone's going to be, I mean, when I'm talking patient, mm -hmm. they're going to break it down to you. If that ain't working, let's go to the whiteboard. Two other people would jump in and try a different explanation. I'm like, yo, this is community. Yeah. Python is run by a foundation. And so they're not really a corporate entity selling anything. These folks are just trying to make sure that the language has foundation. There's enough money to run these events, scholarships, the whole nine. Mm -hmm. So that was my first experience with the tech community, with the open source community. And so fast forward 10 years after that, uh, the Go programming language comes out. So I'm already working at Puppet Labs and they have conferences too and pretty strong open source community. I'm an open source veteran by this point. I've contributed to lots of things. Mm -hmm. But I go to the Go programming language. This is the programming language put out by Google. And it felt like that Python thing again. Mm -hmm. It was so early. We're in Denver, Colorado. And I met the organizers. Mm -hmm. And the organizers were doing their very best. I had a keynote, my first keynote. And I'm sitting in the audience and I'm number three, maybe number four to speak. And Brian Kettleston and Eric St. Martin, mm -hmm. they started the conference because they wanted to see a conference that was independent of anything else, but just for the community. And so they came out and they did this opening monologue. It wasn't hot. Uh huh. It, it was warm, like bath uh -huh. water. It wasn't uh -huh. hot. Uh huh. And I was sitting there like, yo, this, 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 the conference now is not where it could be. And I just went to the back. And I, and I knew them a little bit, but not a lot. And I said, hey, can I try to be the MC? Mm -hmm. Never done it before, but let me try to be MC because the vibe in this room, we gotta keep it up. They're yeah. like, sure, go ahead. Mm -hmm. So I walk out on stage and I say, hey, I'm Kelsey Hightower. You may not know me, but I'm gonna be your MC. And I remember all these jokes started coming. The energy was crazy. Mm -hmm. And I introduced the next speaker and the vibe was where I thought it should be. And you could see mm -hmm. Brian and Eric like, you the MC. <laughs> and so I forgot I'm the third or fourth speaker. <laughs> so I'm the MC and I'm like, oh, I gotta introduce myself. Uh-huh. All right, the next speaker is all of the things. <laughs> and I walk off and I walk back. <laughs> 
but they wasn't clapping loud enough. <laughs> I was like, hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> you know how long I worked on these slides? <laughs> We're gonna have to try that again. Uh-huh. Your next speaker is, and I walked <laughs> behind the thing again, and it came out and it was loud. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Rock star loud. And I'm telling you, and that keynote is on YouTube right now. It's go for system administrators. Mm -hmm. And I'm doing, I'm in my bag. My live demo game is impeccable at this point. And so I'm doing my, my thing. I'm doing the live demo. And the energy was just astounding that people were tweeting. There was a Ruby conference in town too, a different programming language. Mm -hmm much bigger community than ours. As I'm emceeing, I'm seeing people from the Ruby conference in the back wall. They had heard how <laughs> loud <off> the <laughs> They're like, what's going they on over here? And, and they came to the conference. <laughs> and I was like, you know, at backstage, I'm like, what's going on? He's like, dude, you got people coming from other conferences. <laughs> and there's this guy, his, um, damn, I forget his name. He tweeted after my keynote, Kelsey has set the bar. That's how your presentation is going to have to be going forward. Mm -hmm. You can't just come up here with slides. After that, mm -hmm. the bar is now, we're not going back down. And I, I felt so proud to see that. Mm -hmm. And look, to wrap up this story, that whole day made me feel like that, that original feeling could do it again. And so when Kubernetes came out and Joseph Jacks, those groups, those folks at Kismet, just two people, mm -hmm. they decided to put the money up to do the first KubeCon because they wanted to be community oriented and they asked me to be involved. Mm -hmm. And so we picked the logo and roughly the logo you see today was a logo that small group of people came up with. Mm -hmm. And we just did the first one in San Francisco in a hotel. Mm -hmm. And I remember none of the big players wanted to be involved. They're like, who are y'all? Mm -hmm. Why would we sponsor a thing? Y'all don't, this ain't no real organization. Fine, we'll do it. Mm -hmm. And luckily I had a few keynotes under my belt at that time, talking about Kubernetes throughout the world. And so I was like, Kelsey's going to MC, and he's also going to give a talk. And then people started signing up. Mm -hmm. People started sponsoring. So we had about 300 people. Mm -hmm. And I asked, one of the questions I asked as the MC, who's using Kubernetes in production? Which would have been a very irresponsible thing to do at the time. Mm -hmm. And maybe three or four people raised their hand. And I said, come on stage. Mm -hmm. It's a very small group of people behind me. Yeah. And of course, we would go on to do more. We probably did it for about two years before the CNCF took it over. Mm -hmm. And then it becomes this kind of much, much, much bigger thing. The Linux Foundation is just a conglomerate. Yeah. But we set the tone. We set the tone for what the community is supposed to be for, like. And that community mirrors a lot of that Python vibe that I had back in the day at my very first tech conference. Yeah, conferences are great for, yeah, getting that energy, kind of validating the things that you're curious about, learning new things. Um, it's highly recommend if you, anyone ever has an opportunity to go to a conference, it's kind of inspiring, especially if you're one of those people I, I, who's kind of like stuck in a rut and kind of like, I, I don't know what I wanna do. Find a conference, talk to some people, get inspired, join a community. Um, it's really going to help you kind of get some options so you can kind of figure out where, where, where how you want to navigate where you're, where you're going. And if you go to a conference, be present. 
Don't have a bunch of stuff booked where you got to go disappear to take a work meeting. Oh, yeah. You got to be present. Sit at that lunch table with people you don't know. Ask questions, share, learn, have a goal, be focused. Because a lot of people are going to meet their next coworker at that conference. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And a lot of people kind of go and and they don't really emerge fully into what their experience could be. It's on you to kind of create the vibe that you want and you can. And so just don't forget to do that part. When you go to a conference, try to be as present as possible, find your circle and then go find another circle. And that's how you're going to get your money's worth. Yeah, totally agree. So we kind of you discussed this a little more, but I want to open it up to see if you had any, if you want anything else you wanted to add as far as what should companies be doing to increase the number of blacks in technology? Oh, that's where we're going with the community thing. Mm-hmm. That community is so inviting. All the stories I just told as a black person, when I went to volunteer to MC GopherCon that year, the first year, it wasn't the fault of the organizers. It wasn't the fault of the Go community. But there were very few black people there. Maybe one other, maybe. Mm-hmm. I don't know because I didn't see that person. And so two years later, maybe even the next year, maybe two years, mm-hmm. I remember Black Panther was out, came out. And there were so many black people there. Oh, really? The, so mm-hmm. the year before, there was a guy named Brian Lyles. Maybe Brian Lyles was at the first one. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. But I remember I walked into the after party, and there was a circle of people around this other engineer named Brian Lyles. And he was just talking to him. And I walked up, and I was like, oh, what's up, Brian? And he was like, what's up, Kelsey? Mm-hmm. And all the people in the circle looked, and it was like, I thought you were Kelsey. And he just like, that's what y'all get for assuming. <laughs> And it was so funny because that's that's how few black people there were. And now we're both bald, but he's uh-huh. like six four or something, six three. Yeah. Five uh-huh. And so they look like, damn, we're so embarrassed. Uh-huh. And it was just funny because I get it. But there was another year though, and no one organized anything. Mm-hmm. I think some people saw me there through the videos and they saw themselves on the screen. They're like, Oh, mm-hmm. this dude looked like me. Mm-hmm. He talks like I do. Mm-hmm. And looking at his background, it's very similar to the one that I have. This guy is me. And so they independently go buy their own tickets. Mm-hmm. And so that one year, it had to be 50 of us. Nice. Yeah. And we're just walking around seeing them. <laughs> and, you, and you know what's serious when you're seeing black people at a tech conference that you don't know. Yeah. And so one person made a good suggestion. I think he worked at Disney. His name is Brian. And he said, let's just go take a picture. So we go upstairs mm-hmm. and we all doing these poses. And he mm-hmm. takes the photo. I think we tweeted about it. And it looks like Black Panther at GoCon. And it was Brings so a tear to my eyes. So beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> but it was dope because when, so, so to your question is a lot of times, all we want to do is just come to work. Mm-hmm. We don't want to volunteer for all the DEI panels. Yeah. We, mm-hmm. we don't want to be the ones always donating all this emotional time because we know it's time. And then when it's performance review time, let's be honest, a lot of that work don't count. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It may get acknowledged, 
mm-hmm. but it may not count. Yeah. Yeah. But a lot of times when, if I go and I can see that I can just be who I am, I can just come and work and see other people. Ideally, it'd be cool if during the interview process, there was a hint that someone that looks like me works here somewhere, maybe on the interview panel. You don't have to do it intentionally, but it'd be cool if we're walking through the office, I can see one, maybe two. Absolutely. Because I think a lot of people don't realize, and I know women have it harder, what it's like to be the only person in the room. Not just that, but when people make you feel like you're the only, the only person, person in the room. Mm-hmm. That's the part. I don't, I don't even know what to tell each company to do because they mm-hmm. all have this problem for different reasons. But once you remove that element, then of course I have no problem working there, right? Because I promise you this. If one person from an underrepresented community have a bad time at one of these organizations, that private chat thread is crazy, girl. Yes. <laughs> oh. I, 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 I know they pay a little bit more, but for how long though? Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. What's your mental health gonna be like? Mm-hmm. And that stuff is serious. Like I've I've been in a scenario where you feel like you don't you don't even belong there. And it's hard to try to do your best work mm-hmm. when people are looking at you Absolutely. like, I don't even know why you're here. Mm-hmm. It's like, but you don't know me though. So now you're forcing me to try to change your mind and perception about me versus staying focused on the work and the thing that we're supposed to have a shared interest in doing. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the number one thing that a company needs to realize that, and it's not just for black people, we get it. But mm-hmm. I can only talk from my own perspective Correct. that if you see that, if you're listening to this, and you've done that, you may not even know you're doing that. That's the part that I think makes this so complex. I know people that I believe to be good people that aren't aware, for example, and I'm gonna very, I'm trying to give a very clear example. Mm-hmm. I'm one of those people in tech that like to debate. I'm talking mm-hmm. about strongly, I get on the whiteboard, like that's not right. If you do that, we're gonna, oh, hey, I need to go update my resume because we ship this. <laughs> It's a wrap for everybody. <laughs> like, well, you sure you want to do it this way? Uh-huh. <laughs> and so, like, you, we, we kind of used to that, but that only works when everybody is comfortable. Yeah. There mm-hmm. has to be some Absolutely. type of commodity that can deal with, like, when we get heated, we got to have something to revert back to. Actually, right. All human relationships are like that. If you don't have yeah. enough good foundation, yes. you can't have too many of those. Yeah. Because it will unravel everything. So think about an underrepresented person joining the team and you treat them that way. Yeah. Right? You you start to say, oh, they can just handle Like, you don't think is that we don't know we cool yet. We don't have that foundation in right. place to yeah. know that it's going to be cool after we debate to this level. Right. Yeah. So I think that's another thing that we got to pay attention to in the game. Okay. It's now time for the heat check. Heat check, heat check. 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 Okay, the heat check is where the Interface crew, uh, Sierra and myself today, shares an interesting or hot topic happening in technology or black culture. And Kelsey, you can feel free to chime in or if there's something specific you might have, I don't know if you prepared anything, but um, Sierra, do you have a heat check? I'm going first today. Yeah. Bet. So Kelsey kind of stole my thunder already, but... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> my heat check today is because we celebrate black excellence here on the interface podcast and i want to shout out a huge congratulations to the angela bassett for winning the golden globe last night for black panther wakanda forever she won um best actress no supporting actress i'm sorry um for black panther wakanda forever and she is the first 
actor or actress to win for a film in the in the Marvel um, Cinematic Universe. I didn't know that. Yes, to win a major award. So huge congratulations to uh, the Angela Bassett because we she is the okay icon <laughs> legend all of that. And I also want to. Um, Congratulate Miss Quinta Brunson. She won the Golden Globe for Best Actress in a Musical or Comedy Series for Abbott Elementary, which is a phenomenal series. And the actual show won uh, for Best Show as well, for, uh, Best Comedic Show. So big ups to that. I remember watching Quinta when she was on BuzzFeed doing those really quick uh, comedy videos. She was hilarious. And Abbott Elementary, they just wrapped their very first season. So to win that big award after your first season, a showrunner is a black woman coming from the social media, you know, world and coming into the big leagues is a huge accomplishment. So congratulations to them. That is my heat check for today. Yeah. Yeah. Those are, um, we were talking about having, you know, people that like, this is person is me, right. From your work, but like when you're growing up and you know, if you don't have a lot of black role models, you know, I went to a predominantly white school. I went to TV a lot for people, mm -hmm. you know, that I could relate to. So having these, this type of content out there and showing, right. I think, I think what happens is, you know, people, who, you know, people who are not people of color have their stereotypes of what, what black people are. And so, you know, not having kind of representation across different having nerds, having teachers, having this and that. Yes. It's kind of like we have a spectrum too. We're not all just kind of the same person. I think it's very important. And Queen Ramonda, that was excellent. She was my favorite part of that movie. Yeah. I figured you would really appreciate that one, Jenny. Yeah, I, I didn't realize the Golden Globes were last night. So that's, yeah. yeah. Okay. So mine actually is not directly technology this week. Um, and it's kind of two things, so I'm cheating a little bit. So I was driving my son to practice, and there was a um, – was listening to NBR. I think it's a uh, – what is – yeah, This American Life um, about mm -hmm. um, this guy who uh, grew up in a well-to-do white community, and when he went to – and he his parents are Ugandan, and he has a, a very uh, um, unique name, Zora – Bikangaga. And so his friends were kind of like, as a joke, when you go to college, you should pretend to be like an African prince, you know, as a joke. And he proceeded to do that, but just kept the guys up for, I guess, months for a very long time. So um, he met his roommate in like doing a character. And then as they, you know, the social activities you have, you know, the icebreakers and stuff, you just went around campus continuing to be this person. And, um, and he, he's the, you know, the piece talks about why, you know, how he kind of, it almost sounds like a sitcom, right? Like, oh, I'm going to pretend, but I guess this actually happened to this person. He talks about why he couldn't kind of get out of it and what, you know, the difference between being just, you know, a, a you know, a, a black kid from a white community versus being like an African is kind of people were like, Oh, you're royalty, blah, blah, blah. And you could tell all these stories. And so he was kind of getting something out of that, but also kind of the downside of, you know, what people were connecting to. So I thought that was interesting. It kind of related to, I also listened to an audio book, um, Lake Bell's Inside Voice. 
and she's a she's an actress and she's a voice actor and it's kind of she went into lots of details about what goes into acting but also about um you know what it takes to study an accent or um she talked about biases and how you can have biases just on the way people hear you they can kind of hear they know you're they can kind of figure out your gender and your race and um things that kind of come in with that and um I'm always interested in that because I, in the early eighties, right. I, w I lived in England and I had like a English, I guess I had an English accent sort of, um, in like the 80, 85, 86. Um, and so, and then I lost it, but then people were like, oh, you sounded like this and you sounded like that. So I'm always kind of like, I kind of pick up accents sometimes in weird ways. And then I also kind of am cognizant that I don't sound like, I don't have a stereotypical black woman voice and things like that. So she kind of goes into things about that. So I thought that was pretty interesting. Very cool. That I send me the episode for that my American life uh episode. I'd be very interested in hearing that story. It's wild. It was so interesting. My son stopped listening to his headphones and was listening to this this piece. And he's 16, so we know how hard that is for a teenager. I can only imagine having to maneuver <laughs> in that environment and it's like it's cool to play this character but also having to um hi hide who you really are. At, at some point it gets exhausting trying to keep up that that character and it's just like okay yeah and he talks about it, it you know it, of revealing who you really are yeah yeah uh kelsey do you happen to have anything i do and now i'm trying to <laughs> i'm trying to bring in some examples of people that i want to give a shout out to so i'm going to do two people one person's name is esco and I got to get his last name, but I remember he approached me after I got promoted at Google. I did this Twitter space. It was three hours long, talking about my career trajectory into becoming a distinguished engineer at Google. And Esco said, hey, Kelsey, I run this Facebook community for black people trying to get into tech and advance their careers to senior levels. Mm -hmm. And he talked about the community he had built. He's teaching people algorithms how to deal with these very complex Google, Facebook level interviews. And these people are succeeding, mm -hmm. like succeeding. He's given them those skills. He's closing those knowledge gaps and he's recruited thousands of other people to do it with him. And he was so, so happy to like, just interview me. We did a Twitter space, open it up to that entire community. So they just ask questions. And I had to remind him that the work he's doing is so, so important, even though a lot of people may not know who he is, but this is that invisible layer that really makes things go. Mm -hmm. you know I mean, we, we will always remember the MLKs and the Malcolm X's of the world, but we won't remember that person that gave him a ride to give him that speech. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We won't remember the, the security team that kept him alive all of those years. And all of those people play a role in this game. And so people like that who dedicate so much time to the community, because what happens is then those people go on and they start new communities and they continue to grow this thing so that everybody has an opportunity and not just the opportunity, but the help to, to actually succeed. And the other heat check I want to do is I advise a handful of startups. I won't mention all of them. 
And there's this thing called equity and cap tables. Mm -hmm. And there's a way that we start to share in the success of these tools and platforms we spend so much time building going forward. And there's a lot of new people coming in the game and they're starting these companies. They're starting these tech companies. A lot of them have the same backgrounds as us on this call. And they are building these companies. They are hiring people from their communities and they're extremely talented. And they're doing it on the shoestring budget. Mm -hmm. And unfortunate, they don't have as easy of access to capital as others because a lot of venture capitalists are unused to seeing people yeah. that look like that with the ideas that they're bringing to the table. So they have to work a little bit harder, let's be honest, a lot harder Yeah. to fund their businesses, but they succeed in any way. Mm -hmm. these, these folks are like, look, I'm going to just keep working my other job until I can make that bridge. And they're just making it happen. They're growing those businesses. So I just want to give a shout out to all those founders out there creating mm -hmm. those pathways, creating the companies that they want to see. We spend a lot of time talking about how do we fix the existing companies in the world. Mm -hmm. And I think a part of that element is giving them some competition. Very awesome. true. Very I true. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So if people want to get in touch with you, um, how would you like them to do that? My Twitter DMs are wide open. It's kind of the universal place where I go. Now, here's the thing. If you hit me on Twitter, at Kelsey Hightower on Twitter, if you hit me on Twitter, be ready. <laughs> Don't say hi. If you say hi and wait for me to respond, it's going to be 2025. <laughs> It's going to be a blank screen. I'm inviting you to have a discussion. And when I say be ready, some people will hit me on Twitter. Say, yo, Kelsey, they tell me their backstory and I read it twice. I say, you want to jump on a call right now? Mm -hmm. And they say, I'm not ready. <laughs> if you hit me, all I'm saying is, please be ready because I'm ready to help. And so uh, as, as that, that, that's what I would say. If you hit me on Twitter, be ready. I will attest to that. And when we started the podcast, we, we had like goals and, and Sierra was like, think of someone that, you know, your top tier person that you want to do. And I was like, well, th yeah, you know, this guy's written a book, blah, blah, blah. I was like, he's on Twitter. I was like, I guess I'll just send him a message. Shoot we'll shot. This. <laughs> yeah, you responded very quickly. And I was like, you want to be on my podcast? <laughs> you were like, yeah. I was like, I was very impressed. So I, I, yeah, I'm really, really, you're just a down to earth person and just very easy to talk to you. So yeah, I really appreciate that. Okay. So, so Twitter basically, I didn't, you're very active on Twitter too. You're, 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 you're posting all the time. So definitely check that out. Kelsey, are you going to make me get back on Twitter? Because I don't love Listen, Twitter. listen, I hate that transition. Mm -hmm. I hate that Elon is in this place that he's in. I don't know why he's in that place, because if I had $200 billion, <laughs> y'all ain't gonna see me on Twitter. <laughs> Seriously, I, mm -hmm. I, I would literally be playing Monopoly throughout the world. I'm, I'm going into every community. 
new Kroger. Y'all getting the Whole Foods. Yeah. I got too much to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I, I, one thing I learned from that whole thing, and we're not seeing the whole thing. We're just seeing the surface. But what I'm seeing is that if you didn't believe it before, money does not buy happiness. If you didn't believe it before, Mm -hmm. the examples are too clear. So the one thing though that I've done is that I ain't let no one take away my voice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Nobody get to do that. His ownership is temporary. He could choose to sell it later. Mm-hmm. One thing I did realize though, is that I got to make sure that my voice is on other platforms too. So that's one of my goals for this year to diversify where my voice is being held. But until mm-hmm. then, I mean, look at all the communities that have been built up around Twitter. So I'm not yet ready to kind of throw that away yet mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but I, I feel you so if i bring you back on i don't want you to get, don't fight nobody <laughs> like you know them bots be crazy them bites you say one thing i like ice cream oh ice cream is bad for you but i was like damn i can't like ice cream <laughs> you know what i'm saying wow all right twitter is crazy this it's the wild wild west on on twitter for sure <laughs> Yeah, yeah. But I'm gonna have to come check you out. Yeah, we share a lot there. I mean, right now I'm exploring machine learning quite a bit. Um, I've had a, a, a basic background just working at Google, can't help but learn. But a lot of times we're seeing stuff like chat GPT and a lot of people mm-hmm. are afraid. And it's like, okay, now what do you do when you're afraid? We can start making up stuff. We can start mm-hmm. just reading random things and letting mm-hmm. that tell us what it really is, but that's not the way we should do it. We're in a tech community. When I'm afraid, I try to go figure out how it works, go open mm-hmm. the black box. Right. Mm-hmm. So right now I'm in the middle of taking one of these free machine learning courses. Actually, Google has one. It's actually pretty good. It demystifies this stuff. This stuff isn't, it's advanced, it's complex, but it isn't beyond your comprehension. Mm-hmm. I think that's important. So on Twitter right now, I'm, I'm trying to break down Recently, I just saw one of the guys named Lex Friedman. He does a really great podcast, but he did a MIT course on machine learning, on deep learning in 2019. And I gave people a quick summary on it because I think it's one of the best introductions to machine learning for most people that have a little bit of a tech background. And so on Twitter, I'm trying to show those different levels of the game so that we all get educated. So I'm not going to be talking about random stuff all the time but i'm trying to like share as much of my curiosity to hopefully spark others yeah yeah keep keep the conversation going and let yeah don't back away from something you're not yeah. chat gpt had my TikTok for you page in a chokehold for a few days and i was like get out of <laughs> get out of here wipe Well, thank you, Kelsey, for joining us today, as well as all of you listening in. If you enjoyed this conversation, drop us a line at interfacepodcast at pros.com or find us on LinkedIn. Please also rate and review us on whatever platform you're listening from. It helps the show tremendously. We want, to, we want your feedback to make our show better. We encourage you to go out and continue this conversation and even start your own. And we'll meet you back here for the next episode. From our crew to yours, have a good one.